Welcome to the Demisery Podcast, where I, Liz Hansen, read essays I've written about confronting and moving on from loss, grief, and shame. My hope is to normalize conversations around miscarriage, mental health, and all kinds of losses and traumas that compound the older we get. After my own miscarriages, I wanted nothing more than to hear stories from women about how they made it through. So here's mine. Know that you're not alone and that there are many healing paths to pursue. Thanks for listening. Content warning. Topics include miscarriage, infant mortality, grief, and raw freaking emotion. Self, love. We were doing things in the modern order of an older couple getting pregnant first, and then maybe we'd get married. But that dream dissolved on December 3rd, 2015, when I learned at my 20-week checkup that my child would not be born alive, that it was, in fact, dead inside me and had been for over a month. A year later, my partner and I became a cliché, a couple whose divergent grieving and healing paths cleaved corners into our hearts, such that they never fit together again in the same sweet way, and we grew to resent each other. That was our third miscarriage, and after it, he didn't want to pursue parenthood in any form, not by fostering adoption or pregnancy. And so, at age 41, I left him to give myself a chance to find a partner who wanted to make a family with me. I believed the experience of raising a child would be deeply healing for me, I saw myself sprinting that final relay leg into adulthood, and by that I mean I'd gratefully and permanently drop the role of me as child. As the loudmouth youngest of three, the only girl, and the survivor of a childhood illness, my vulnerabilities have been babied, but also corralled. As a mother and wife, I would prove that I was well, that my odd and ill childhood made me a more understanding type of parent. In the beginning, I wanted to meet an abstract version of me, an idea of self and other that I couldn't help but nurture and love. That loving that everyone says is the strongest, deepest they've ever felt. I had left Los Angeles and abandoned the pursuit of a TV writing career to live in San Francisco and start a family with my ex. So when I found myself devoid of both children and career, I declared myself a complete creative failure. The devastation I felt was different than the other miscarriages I'd had once my body quietly passed on its own. This time, my body wouldn't let the baby go, and I had to wait for the hospital to fit me in to surgically remove it. Five long nights, I went to bed knowing I was harboring death, a concept so troubling I gobbled out of Anne to get the thoughts and images out of my mind. And then finally, I got the abortion, only to inexplicably hemorrhage. I was re-hospitalized and saved by plasma infusions. After a steady week of hell, it's safe to say I was deeply traumatized psychologically and physically. At home, it was terrible. It felt like the ex and I were stuck in a Lars von Trier movie. The baby's death set off a storm of only bad weather in our tiny apartment, an unrelenting emotional sleet. We were wounded, defensive, triggered, hopeless, and exhausted. We were mean to each other and to ourselves. 
I quit my job at the small startup where another woman in the office was pregnant the same number of weeks I would have been. I feared going insane if I had to watch her belly grow. Miraculously, a new job presented itself, and I became the in-home personal assistant for a socialite of mixed renown. I was her ideal employee. I was so numbed by grief that her attempted manipulations bounced right off of me and I could just focus on the work, not her games. Her home was my ideal office. I worked tucked away, affectless and sleepy in a hoarded penthouse in her Pacific Heights mansion that I accessed via a spiral staircase in her bedroom closet. There, I would print out her emails and do her catalog shopping, staring out at the Golden Gate Bridge in Alcatraz. The entire house was an emotional tonic for my sad brain. Wandering around the rooms shook everything else out of my mind. I'd stop and realize, wow, I'm breathing on a Monet. And, lo, I just touched a Coons. I felt safe there. No pregnant people, no risk of pregnancy or kid talk. It was a completely alien world of dysfunctional wealth, and all I had to do was perform the secretarial duties required of a septuagenarian Luddite and her shopping addiction. I had three co-workers, a queenie butler with low self-esteem, a depressed housekeeper with a hoarding disorder of her own, and a driver who I could never tell if he was slow or stoned or both. They were each consumed with their own afflictions and circumstances such that my wounded aura went unnoticed. In many ways, it was a house full of grief. The missus wouldn't throw out anything, paper, catalogs, clothing, shoes, teetering piles of color-coded cashmere sweaters, and her deceased husband's clothing. She was constantly accumulated more printed emails, more catalogs, more couture. Anything she managed to throw out would be dug out of the garbage by the housekeeper, who hoarded it in the room she kept locked that none of us would ever see or enter. These characters were comforting to me. They had secrets. They were entertaining and made me feel alive and okay and healthy. But then I'd go home and be miserable, drinking and watching television, unable to utter a single sentence to the ex without an entire onion's worth of layered subtextual resentment leading to inevitable tears. We went to couples counseling, we got better, we got worse, and then we finally acknowledged that we wanted different things, me a family, him not. I believed my salvation lay in parenting. Becoming a parent was the only way I could imagine feeling whole and better. It was the only way to make the hell we'd been through worth it. But my ex couldn't bear risking another loss, and for that, I couldn't bear him. I thought I could beat the ticking clock and find a mate. I thought I'd be well enough in a year or so, but I wasn't. Emotionally, I was raw, sad, wounded, and anxious. Physically, I was completely cut off from my body, unable to contemplate my abdomen or breasts, not wanting to feel anything related to my sex. I resented my flesh and my brain. The code of silence and shame around miscarriages means that bereaved parents feel further isolated. I would see or talk to a handful of dear friends, but the presence of their children and family units made it hard. I had panic attacks at the sight of pregnant bellies. I was triggered by birth announcements, and I resented kids' birthday parties. I hated that I felt like a bad friend and aunt, and I self-isolated to avoid the pain I might risk from trying to connect. I had to come to terms with the fact that I was actually traumatized. Trauma. 
that nagging feeling that you could have been well if that horrible thing hadn't happened to you, that you're fundamentally different, worse off. It's time travel to the person you were before, trying to be the person who was a blank or canvas. Trauma is knowing that pain doesn't require fault, that innocent encounters can send you careening to a panic that could be triggered by absence or fullness, the lack of my own child or the existence of another person's. Trauma is a mocking riddle, everything and nothing. To get stronger, I simplified my life. Living alone, all I had to do was show up to the job that paid me money, and beyond that, just sleep, eat, therapy once a week, and yoga twice a week. I had no social life and placed no creative expectations on myself. My unpaid job was to heal. The way to heal was to learn to love myself in the wretched state I was in, to trust that love and practice it. My therapist has many healing gifts and tools, and with her help and EMDR, I have learned to feel safe in my body and brain again. I've been able to love myself back to being a person I want to hang out with. I've learned that grief is never over, and so each new wave I grieve and heal, grieve and heal, grieve and heal, dot, 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 etc., and so on. New parents marvel at the love they feel for their child, proclaiming it the deepest love that's possible, a sentiment that feels like such a fuck you to someone who's gone through what I have. I really hate that narrative now. It stings as if we've forgotten that love is a capacity, not an end point. But if you really want to talk depth of love, how about loving the deepest, most golemy pit of despair in yourself? That's the love needed for self-parenting and healing. Having to reckon with a wounded self all while an inner voice tells you you're not worth it, it's not possible, and there's no baby or lover there to provide an oxytocin reprieve. That, friends, is bottomless love. I knew healing would come from loving in a parental way. I just didn't think I'd be both the child and the parent. In the end, I got what I wanted. I did meet an abstract version of me, an idea of self and other that I can't help but nurture and love, that loving that only I say is the strongest, deepest love there is. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to subscribe to this essay series or find me, Liz Hansen, you can do so at demisery.com, D-E-M-I-S-E-R-Y.com. Don't forget to be nice to yourself. Healing wishes to all.